Hello and everyone, welcome back to Parliamental. I'm Jerry Maguire, your co-host for the podcast, alongside my MP, your MP, everybody's MP, it's Ur <laughs> Anne McLaughlin. <laughs> Hello there. Hi, ha- Jerry. Hi, Anne. Um, Happy New Year, Anne. Yes, Happy New Year to you, too. Yeah, how was your how was your break? And it was probably busy. Did you manage to get any time off? No, I did. I did actually. Yeah, no. Christmas was brilliant. Didn't get any time off on Christmas Day because I was cooking for the the hungry McLaughlin clan. <laughs> um, but it was good fun. And uh, New Year was pretty quiet because Graham, my partner, had shingles, oh. and it was all the excuse I needed to stay indoors. I hate Hogmanay, but yes, I got a, I got a couple of days off. It was pretty nice. Brilliant. Funny she said. I don't like Hogmanay either. I don't like being told. This is the right time for fun, and it puts too much pressure. That's exactly why I don't like it. It's okay for Christmas because I think there's food and go. Yeah, food makes everything better. People are all together, but that like, let's go out tonight, and it's Mm. just I don't like it. You will go out tonight. You will get drunk tonight, and you will be ecstatically happy because it's the thirty first of December. No, thank you. I'll make my own mind up if you don't mind. I'll just watch Hootin' Annie. Aye, like and that's what I did. (laughs) But anyway, so happy New Year to the listeners as well. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year, everybody. Yeah, let's go parliamental. And you're literally just back from speaking at an Amnesty International event. So what was that? It was basically a training day for their activists, their campaigners. So I was on a panel with other politicians um, talking about activism, what works, helping them to see what sort of campaigning they do that uh, works best and what sort of campaigning doesn't work so well. So it was basically what I used to do before I got elected. I used to train voluntary organisations in how to campaign and get what you want from politicians. So it was good. It was fun. Brilliant. Did you get any interesting questions now that you're an MP? Well, for a change, I was able to answer the questions that connected to Westminster because normally, and, and particularly when I was doing training, my training was all about engaging with the Scottish Parliament. But from time to time, you get people asking you questions about how it works in Westminster. And I used to say, haven't a clue. So at least this time, I've got a bit of a clue. So, yeah. Also, now that we're back, evil has arrived. English Votes for English Laws movement um, happened in the Commons with Scottish MPs prevented from voting on certain business in the House. And Pete Wishart got really torn in on Twitter, just had a big rant about it. I think he said, today, for the first time in our modern democracy, Scottish MPs will be banned, yes, banned from voting in the UK Parliament. And what would you say to someone who would say, well, you know, Scotland's got its own parliament, um, what's, wrong, what's wrong with us? Well, because Scotland campaigned for its own parliament, it, en- it engaged with people in Scotland, it had a referendum, the people of Scotland got to have a say, not just in whether or not they have a parliament, but in the form of that parliament. The people of England have never been consulted, there's been no legislation that's been debated and discussed at committee stage, scrutinised, there's been no real democratic procedures followed here. So basically what we fought for for decades, i.e. our Scottish Parliament, I mean obviously in the SNP we were fighting for something beyond that, but what people in Scotland fought for for decades is happening in England with just basically making an amendment to standing orders. And... um, Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of MPs down there that would like to make us feel like second-class MPs, and and this, in some respects, does create a second class of MP, but I don't don't feel like that. Uh, I'm annoyed, but I'm not surprised. So how does that work in practice, then? Do they ask you to leave, shut your ears, stand in the corner? Like, what is it? How does that work, then, that... Are you allowed to go down to the voting chamber as well? Like I'm not entirely sure because I wasn't there when it happened this week. I and mean, I was in Westminster, but I wasn't in the, the 
debating chamber. But I did see somebody took a photograph of, there was a big sign outside saying England and Wales. Um, In other words, get out. But I don't think they would stop you coming in. You could come in. You could even go through the voting lobbies, I suppose. But it's just that they won't tick your name off and they won't count Mm. you as a vote because you don't count. And it was funny, somebody was tweeting and saying, look, can you clear this up, Anne? Is it just the SNP that's not allowed to vote? And I said, no, it's just MPs representing Scottish constituencies. Any MP representing a constituency in Scotland can't vote. So even if they were all Tories, they wouldn't be able to. Although something tells me if they'd all been Tories, we wouldn't have had this wouldn't legislation. Had yeah, it's this, it's this one party state again. Can't have that. Yeah. Can't have that when it was like when it was like one big party and one wee party. That was fine. Yeah. But um, yeah, I wonder. I wonder what the other Scottish MPs that aren't SNP, you know, all two of them. What they've got to say about it. I've not heard anything from them complaining no. about this, or but they'll probably keep their heads down. Yeah, no, I've not heard them saying anything at all. Um, I mean, obviously, David Mundell will support it. Um, Ian Murray he probably doesn't necessarily support it, but he's not going to say that. I don't know. I don't really care what they think. <laughs> <laughs> Over the Christmas period, there was a lot of trouble on the fourth road bridge. Uh, basically, it broke and it had to be shut, and people were a wee bit miffed. Folk in Edinburgh must have been bricking it because that's where the Amazon delivery location mm. is, apparently, on the other side of that bridge. Um, but the bridge breaking seemed to be the SNP's fault, and, and I'd want you to tell me like, how you and the gang managed to break the bridge. Yeah, well, you see, we went down there at night when nobody was looking, and we all just got hammers and chisels and tapped away at it until we got our wicked way because. SNP bad, remember? SNP bad, yep, definitely. Uh, no, I mean, uh, I spoke to Derek Mackay shortly after it all kicked off, and Derek Mackay is obviously the transport minister, and he said to me, that bridge will be reopened before Christmas, I am telling you. <laughs> it will be reopened before Christmas if I have to do it myself. But he was also saying that the people working on it, he said they were just absolutely legendary in their approach and their commitment. He said he was just so you know, moved by the way that the teams working on it were so determined to get it opened again. And it was opened, so it was all fine. But I'm sure the opposition still found ways to attack us on that as well. Yeah, I looked into the history of the, the fourth bridges and it seems like... Like for maybe 15, 20 years, Labour has for some reason been against the second bridge. Mm. It seems like at every turn they've sort of kiboshed the thing yep. that would maybe have fixed this problem or alleviated it. Mm. And now when the music stops and the SNP have got it and they've been planning a new bridge for a while, <laughs> um, that it's suddenly the SNP's fault. I know. So, it's hilarious. But like you're saying, I mean, the bridge was meant to be falling down, allegedly. And, you know, within two weeks it was open again to everything bar the heaviest trucks. Yep. So, yeah, it wasn't a huge catastrophe. It wasn't. I mean, I think it must have been really frustrating for people. I mean, I know if I, like yesterday, let me think, I was, was it yesterday I was driving along? No, it was today, in fact. I was driving along, it started to snow and all the traffic went at five miles an hour because there was a bit of snow. And I mean, this is before the roads got slippy mm-hmm. and uh, I find it really frustrating. So I understand, you know, it's so much worse for people that use that bridge. Um, but yeah, like you say, you know, that the, we kind of proved our point. We need this replacement bridge that they've been complaining about. Mm-hmm. But, you know, whatever whatever we do, uh, the Labour Party are going to complain about it. And I know that they're the opposition and their job is to oppose and to hold us to account. But really, they're going to end up with absolutely no credibility in the eyes of the public because they jump on everything regardless and they're completely hypocritical about it. Sad. When they face back to the past, they tie themselves in knots. If only they'd focused on a better plan for the future, that yeah. would be good for them. 
And I want to wind back a bit. I know we're in 2016 now, but going back before Christmas, um, a lot's going on since the last podcast. And, you know, I'm not going to go back over all the stuff we missed, but definitely wanted to ask you about the vote in Syria. So, first of all, like, what's what were your thoughts on that vote? Oh, it was just awful. Um, I mean, obviously, I voted against bombing um, men, women and children in Syria. Um, we just didn't think the case had been proven. We didn't think that there was the, there was evidence enough that doing this was going to make the difference that they claimed it was going to make. And therefore, it's not worth taking the risk that you will kill civilians, which we have done. And obviously, you were going to end up doing that. It was awful. It was a really tough night in there. Um, my aunt said to me the following weekend, she said, oh, I saw you on TV. She said, I waited up to see the results. She said, and there was you standing there waiting for the vote. And when it came through, she said, you were just shaking your head from side to side, looking disgusted. And I said, well, that's because I was disgusted. I think one of the worst things for me was uh, Hilary Benn giving this brilliant speech. You know, I can't see something as a brilliant speech if... I think what you're saying is all wrong, and I just, I just felt, I just felt it was a bit shameful of him to put so much effort and energy into passionately convincing people to vote along with the Tories in order to do something that we really should not be doing. And um, I also thought it was really disrespectful to the new party leader, to Jeremy Corbyn. Um, and I don't get that whole thing. I don't think this is manageable, feasible, having him there in the shadow cabinet, but apparently Jeremy's got no choice. But uh, yeah, in any case, um, I, I thought it was awful. It was a terrible night, a really depressing night. The people who voted yes beside you who were kind of walking in to vote for it, I mean, what were they kind of, were they gung-ho? Were they solemn about it at least? Like, what was the feeling you got from the crowd of folk that were moving down to vote? No, we weren't gung-ho. Everybody was just feeling really quite depressed because we knew that we were going to get beaten. I'd had a, I'd been in the chamber, then I'd gone away somewhere, and when the division bell went to say that it was time to vote, um, I started walking along, and there were three Tories walking alongside me, and I think I tweeted about this at the time. The three Tories were having a bet with each other about they were betting a pound on to see who could get closest to the majority they would get for going to war. And I just thought, that's just incredible. You're so removed from what's actually happening here. You know, even if you do believe this is the right thing to do, how can you see it as, you know, something to laugh and joke and have a bet on? But in, certainly in, in the... In the, oh, you were asking if we were gung-ho. You meant were the people voting for yeah. war? Mm -hmm. I, well, they were. Um, um, no... I didn't particularly see it since that, I have mm. to say. Everybody was fairly solemn. Although that's kind of disgusting that people are voting on the margin to go to war for a pound. Like, that's kind of cartoonish. Uh, There's an Eddie Murphy movie called Trading Places. Uh -huh. And I watched, watched Die Hard again at Christmas, as I always do. Um, and there's bits <laughs> in that where people bet one dollar on like a really horrible outcome it's like a cartoon way of showing that someone's mm. like a scumbag so that's kind of yeah. horrifying to hear that people are doing that about something so yeah. serious and i tweeted about it and um i got an awful lot of retweets but i also got some replies from people saying you know prove it who was it name them some people saying name and shame because they're such scumbags other people saying i don't believe you you're making it up tories saying i don't believe mm. you're making it up I did uh, know who one of them was. I'd never seen the other two in my life. Um, and I did know who one of them was. But you know what? I just, I didn't know his name and I'd have to go and seek him out. And that wasn't the point of what I was yeah. saying. 
And, you know, but yeah, it was funny that some people thought I would actually lie about something like that. Yeah, it's just horrifying. Like I've seen, I've got your tweet here in the lobby waiting to vote now, just past three Tories having a bet of one pound and how big their majority would be. Jolly Japes, sorry, Syria. That's what you know, that's your part of the end yeah. there. So, yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty bleak. Yeah. Know, that's, even, that's made it even worse, I think, for me. Um, yeah. yeah, but hey, everyone listening, the next time we've got a, we've got a big thing like this coming along, there's another thing to remember how you can stop it happening, and that's maybe by voting yes next time you get a chance. That would help. Well, yeah. it wouldn't it wouldn't have stopped them doing it, but it would have stopped us having any yeah. involvement in but, it. I mean, this is this is the outcome of of a vote, a no vote, unfortunately, is that mm. we're kind of we're kind of our wagons hitched to to yeah. these sorts of folk and different reasons people want independence but for me that's a really big one to kind of uncouple ourselves from yeah that, me too from that right and i spotted on facebook the other day and you, and you mentioned today at the branch meeting that you've got you're advertising for some interns mm-hmm. so can you tell us a wee bit more about it what what you want the interns to do what they're going to mm-hmm. do what their conditions are what hours all that sort of stuff Okay, well, I'll tell you the conditions. First of all, they will be employed for three months on the Glasgow Scottish Living Wage or whatever it is. Um, And they will be working on specific projects and learning how to run, uh, how to work in a constituency office. So some of their time will be spent on general duties and the majority of the time will be spent working towards uh, an end product. So the two that I'm looking for, one uh, will be focused on open spaces. We've got a problem in the constituency where you just, the biggest example is Springburn Park and the Winter Gardens left to rack and ruin once the pride of the north of Glasgow. And there's no way in this world that if that park was in the west end of Glasgow, it would be left like that, nor should it be. Um, And so there's that, but there's other smaller parks that have been vandalised and left for long periods mm-hmm. of time. People basically can't access them anymore. So we're we're bringing somebody in for three months. I want to know everything I can do and that I can get community activists to do to turn that around. So that's, that's one thing. So the other one will be about employability. I feel as an MP, the thing that I've not uh, got a handle on yet um, is increasing employment in the area. Now, I know it's not all just down to me, one person. I can't just bring all these jobs to the area. But I want to know all the tools at my disposal in order uh, that will enable me to do that because we need to bring employment and good, uh, steady employment to this area. So I've got somebody who... Um, I, wa- I want somebody, an intern, who's going to work on looking at that. They'll each have a mentor and that mentor will guide them. Um, We need them to have a certain level of confidence, uh, some experience in, you know, you know, community activism of sorts. Um, uh, But I'm really, really keen for people in the constituency who are thinking to themselves, I'd love to do that, but I don't think, you know, I don't think she would want me because... Because I'm 55, because um, uh, you know I, I I don't have any qualifications, because I come from I won't name any areas in case people misinterpret what I'm saying. I'm really keen for it to be people who uh, wouldn't get this opportunity otherwise, but will consider anybody. Now I'm not going to be sifting through the applications, um, but I've got a team of people who are going to be doing that. 
if I can afford to do it again next year, I will. But this year, I just have a little bit of extra money in my budget. It's great to hear that you're saying it's it's not tied to age or um, not because when you think of intern, you immediately think of you know someone who's maybe seventeen, eighteen or something, and interns are notoriously unpaid. Mm-hmm. So it's great to hear that this is open to kind of everyone basically, yep. and it's going to be paid as well, which means that people can do it and it'll be a positive thing for them. They yes. don't have to don't have to save up for it. So I'm being attacked by Anne's cat here. <laughs> Tinkerbell's all over. <laughs> Her tail is in is practically up your nostril. Yeah. Oh, oh she's, she's lying on your knee. Oh, oh. oh, she's lovely. If I get I've not got a good history with cats uh, listeners, so if I get attacked here, um, <laughs> she won't attack. It's probably my fault. She's a pussy cat. <laughs> um you also spoke about um Yarlswood Detention Centre really briefly in the past week. First of all, just going back to I know we've mentioned it before, can you just really quickly describe what Yarlswood is and what yep. it's like for people inside it? Yeah, it's basically a prison. They don't they don't necessarily class it. The British government probably wouldn't call it a prison, but it, you are imprisoned in it, and it's for people. It's for immigrants, so um, not just on account of being an immigrant, of course, but uh, primarily it's asylum seekers who um, have exhausted or don't are not able to appeal a decision saying they have to be deported, but quite often held there for long, long periods of time because the government says you haven't proven your case oh but we can't deport you because that country is far too dangerous to deport Mm -hmm. you to it's just silly but they're in there as well with uh, immigrants who have committed criminal offences so yeah it's basically a place to detain immigrants who for one reason or another are not allowed to stay in the country Um, In the debate I think specifically in that you mentioned that 90 out of the 99 pregnant women who were detained there, no straight away that's a scary number anyway, but 90 out of those 99 people were released and not deported I mean that's fairly easy maths, over 90% of women who were in there who were pregnant weren't deported Mm -hmm. Um, I mean what kind of treatment is that for anybody, anybody let alone someone who's pregnant, let alone if that's the rate at the end of it is that, you know, nine tenths of people are let out anyway. Yeah, I mean, they were told they were they they had agreed that they wouldn't uh, detain women who were pregnant unless they were about to be deported or there was a they were dangerous in any way. And those ninety were not about to be deported because they subsequently got uh, won their appeal. I mean, I think the thing that a lot of people don't understand is you're classed as an illegal immigrant if you come to this country, you claim asylum and the Home Office says no, until you appeal it, you're classed as an illegal immigrant. So when you hear the press talking about illegal immigrants, it can be somebody that's just not yet been able to prove that they are in need of asylum and they might not be able to prove it because they've been tortured by their government but their government's never going to go, yes, that's correct, we agree. Here's a letter telling you that we tortured this person. Of course they're not. So sometimes it is really difficult to to prove it. Um, And something like 55%, it's certainly over 50% of people who appeal the decision by the Home Office win their appeal. Uh, when they go to the the tribunal or the court. Therefore, that tells you that 50-odd percent of those people who, who, you know, the decisions were wrong in the first place. It's not that somebody goes, oh, all right, then we'll let you in. They look at points of law and say, in actual fact, this person does have a right to stay here. So, yeah, I mean, but Yarlswood is particularly horrible. All detention is awful, um, and it's unlimited there is no limit to it. So, you know, if you're serving a prison sentence for a crime, well, A, you got yourself there in the first place, but B, you know when it is the earliest that you'll get out. You know you're going to be there for three months, 12 years, whatever. 
in in this kind of detention, you have no idea. You produced a written question to the government on the Haitian elections as well. Now, I have to admit, I don't know much about Haiti. Mm. Um, so what was it you were asking about Haiti? And like, Did something go wrong there? Was it was there, was there a dodgy election? There, there, was, there were accusations from a number of uh, NGOs, non-governmental organisations, that there had been some corruption in the elections in order to, to change the outcome of the elections. Now, I was approached by um, a, a group based in London uh, that I've got contacts with who are connected to Haiti and they asked me to ask these questions. And that's actually an interesting thing because I've said to this, this to many groups and to people, if you and I say this to anybody listening to this, if there are questions that you would like to ask of government ministers send me your suggestions. Now, you might send me something that I know has already been answered, or you might send me something that's not something I agree with, or you might send me something that's not really in my area of interest. But that doesn't mean I won't submit it. I won't submit something I don't agree with. But I'm very happy. I mean, I've got welfare rights officers in this uh, constituency who are going to be sending me questions based on the experience of universal credit as it's rolled out, going to be sending me questions and I'm going to submit those written questions to the government ministers and they have to answer me. So I would say to anybody out there, if you've got questions that you think are important to be answered, just let me know and um, and certainly send me suggestions and I'll definitely consider it. Ivan McKee's adoption party happened last week in the Drygate. There was a great turnout and some great speakers, including yourself, Anne. So uh, what does the adoption mean for Ivan's campaign? Like, what is an adoption? <laughs> uh, well, I once invited uh, a woman that I met in the street. I said, would you like to... She was expressing an interest, and I said, would you like to come to my adoption? And she said, oh... Uh, and she hesitated, and then she said, would I be able to bring a colleague? And I said, of course, you can bring whoever you like. And she said, it's just that he's thinking, of him and his wife are thinking of adopting. And I thought, ah, I need to stop doing this party political speak. The adoption is just a a formal adoption of the candidate as your candidate. And it's an excuse to raise money and have fun. It was Mm. a brilliant night, wasn't it? That was a great one. Yeah, I had a, this is is a food chat. I had what (laughs) I thought was a rotten spot for the speeches because we were standing at the back kind of chatting away. And then the speeches started. And that's, you know, speeches were great. But, you know, 20 minutes in, you're starting to, like, you've not got a seat, everyone else is sitting mm. down. And then I realised behind me, which was the raffle table, was getting cleared, and they put the food out there. So I went from <laughs> having one of the worst spots in the room to being, like, number one for the buffet, and that's personally <laughs> very important to me, to be number one for the buffet. Yeah, well, I know some people waited so long that they missed it, and the buffet was completely cleared, they never yeah. got anything at all. I was talking to someone at the end who said, I'm going to get some food now, and somebody went, no food left, mate. And he was like, <laughs> Like, not really no food. Oh, what a shame. So I had to put the last chip in my face. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was a great night. And like I said, there was um, there was uh, you, uh, Hamza, Elaine C. Smith, and of course Ivan giving, giving a speech at the end. Although I think somebody nicked one of his jokes or something. He didn't realise he was going to make it. He had a little speech and because he'd been like the fourth speech made. Someone had already made that gag. Oh, so he was aye, kinda... aye. And Tommy Shepard as well. Tommy Shepard as well. That's really really someone else. So yeah, it was a great bunch of speakers and it was a great night. Yeah. It, was good. it was good to the be The band out. was really good. Good to be out socially. I, mean, it wasn't, I know it wasn't necessarily a branch kind of function, but it was kind of everyone who wants to be involved in Ivan's campaign. So yeah, it was a great night. And I've not been to Drygate before, so it was a great place. Uh, had, did you notice Ivan up playing saxophone with the band? Get out, no. No, neither did I. 
But I was I was aware of really good saxophone playing, and then later on, somebody I mean I was never left the room. Somebody showed me a photograph of Ivan up on the stage playing saxophone. Play I said, sax- "When was that?" And they said five minutes ago. I'd completely missed it. I'd been talking. Yeah, he plays really well. Also, for a price, I filmed him at the end disco dancing. Yes. <laughs> Yes. He was getting right into use it. Use that against him. Um, <laughs> but that's amazing, didn't it? So he's got a bit of Bill Clinton about him then. He plays the saxophone. Uh, hope that's the only bit of Bill Clinton he's got about Yep. Um, but you can see, I think, uh, Independence Live, I think it was, who were kind oh, of live streaming true. it that's from the thing. So if you want to go to Independence Live's YouTube channel, mm-hmm. you'll be able to see the speeches and see Ivan give his chat, but not play saxophone. I'll have to investigate that. And I'll maybe have to get a copy of the disco dancing for you. Oh, Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> Um, in the last podcast, then we spoke about Alex Salmon's portrait, but it turns out now he's got his own show on LBC. I know the jam he get. I know. I think I personally I think he's just jealous of of this podcast. Yeah, I think, I that's, think what that's what I think. It I think is. he wants a piece of this action. <laughs> it's every Wednesday, I think, mm. and I've not I've listened to bits of it, but not listened to all of it. Like, is there a reaction the next day? Like when you all go to work, are people talking about what he said? Do people listen to it at night, or is it just like it's another one of Alex <laughs> projects? Uh, you mean amongst us, amongst yeah, the MPs but, yeah. and mm. staff and that. Actually, but he's only done it twice, I think. So I've not actually spoken to anyone about it. I don't want that to sound as if nobody's the slightest bit interested, but I don't know if anyone's listened to it yet. I want to listen because it's a phone in, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that could be really, really funny. Yeah. Um, in fact, we should do a phone in, Jerry. Life but, phone um, in. That would be good fun. But I think Alec would be superb at managing a phone in. And so I keep meaning to go back and listen. But to be honest, since we've come back, um, there's been so few opportunities where we've all been together or we've not been in the chamber where we've had the chance to talk. So no, I've not actually spoken to anyone about it. But I will ask Alec how good he is and I'm sure he'll tell me. <laughs> and you know, if he's looking for a guest, then you know, you've got a lot of mic experience yes, here. exactly. To, you know, so I mean, you'd be a perfect co-host. <laughs> But don't leave me. <laughs> I won't leave you. So, Anne, um, what have you got coming up in the next week or two in Westminster? Right. Well, next week, I'm going to work in reverse order. Mm-hmm. Wednesday, I'm leading in the final debate on psychoactive substances and moving some amendments for yep. the SNP group. Uh, Tuesday, can't remember, Monday, speaking in... A debate. I'm summing up for the SNP in a debate on Donald Trump. This has come from a petition. Right. Um, so I think it was a petition to stop Donald Trump ever coming back <laughs> to the UK. <laughs> so, uh, but I'm going to be, I mean, I'll be talking about Donald Trump and all his many, many qualities. Um, <laughs> but I'm really going to focus on the Islamophobia mm-hmm. because it's about what he said that was Islamophobic yeah. and really inflammatory. However, before I do the Donald Trump thing, I am meeting Idris Elba. Hang on, Idris, Idris Elba, Idris Elba? As in Idris Elba, yeah, as the, in... The cool guy? The Idris, the Idris Elba. Elba. Uh-huh. So, I take it this is going to be really, you're going to be really serious, really, this a pole-faced meeting then, you're going to be, or you're going to be in front of big foam hands. What do you know what? I, I don't even know what it is I'm going to, I just know Idris Elba's going to be there. Just Idris Elba's going to be there. <laughs> no, I'm only kidding. Um... Yeah, what he's doing is he's making a speech it's a Channel 4 event in the Parliament and his speech is something to do with diversity in film mm-hmm. I'm interested anyway but yeah. it helps that it's Idris Elba it doesn't hurt you at all that it's Idris Elba and, and I've no reason to believe that I'm necessarily going to meet him except that I am going to meet him <laughs> <laughs> he is going to meet me <laughs> I think he's really cool 
and I'm, yes. I'm not attracted to Idris Elba. Um, I don't <laughs> no, know if you're. Attra- I don't know if you're attracted to Idris Elba, uh, but no, you know, no, I'm no, sure you'll. I'm sure you'll fake it. You know, I'm sure you'll. <laughs> you know, you'll pretend to be charmed and all that. It'll be nice. Yeah, I'll pretend, and then I'll get a few selfies if you insist. If you, yeah, if you, you know, you don't. You don't want to like make the guy feel un- unwelcome. <laughs> we won't be doing that. <laughs> But back to the back to the Trump thing first of all, because although we've got Idris Elba there, and that is pretty cool, um, the Donald Trump thing's pretty interesting because there has been a camp, there's been a like you're saying a, a campaign to ban Donald Trump from the UK. So, is is it is it just come from that um, that poll that came out? Is it just because people wanted to have this debate? This is why it's happening. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a Westminster Hall debate, so Westminster Hall debates can be brought about by any member of Parliament who uh, puts a bid into a ballot. But also on a Monday, I'm just getting to grips with this, on a Monday from half past four to half past seven, there is one Westminster Hall debate and it seems to be that every Monday it comes from a petition that's been submitted to the British Parliament. So uh, I think you've got to have over 100,000 signatures and that triggers a debate, but it's not a guaranteed debate. Yeah, right. So the petitions committee decide. This mm-hmm. is my understanding of it. So yeah, it was it was brought about by... Uh, over a hundred thousand people signing the petition. Yeah, back to the Donald Trump thing is interesting because of kind of the hate speech angle. Like you're saying, mm. he said something that was pretty Islamophobic. If there was someone who'd said something that was very kind of anti-Christian or very sort of anti-white Europeans, and we th- there'd be less of a debate about whether to let them in the country or not. You know, there's been people kind of banned from the country before for hate preaching. Yes. Um, but hate speech, that's interesting, just because uh-huh. he's kind of well, I, I say he's I say he's white. I mean, who knows what he's under. Those, those lacquered layers underneath mm. Donald Trump. Don't <laughs> want to get you comment on that. Um, but there's also something coming up, I think, for you this week. I don't know if it's a couple of weeks, about community empowerment. Do you want to tell us a wee bit? A wee, a wee bit oh, yeah, that? I'm really excited about this. So Marco Biaggi is an MSP and he's the Local Government and Community Empowerment Minister for the SNP government. And he has agreed to come uh, on Saturday the 30th of January and he's doing two meetings for me. So... Uh, one on each side of the M8 in my constituency. So one will be in Royston, one in Deniston. And basically, he is going to explain to people how the Community Empowerment Act will empower your communities. So if you have a derelict building that is, you know, has been lying there and nobody's doing anything with it, if there is waste ground that you think could be put to better use... Now, I have to say... Glasgow Northeast, I love, but right across this constituency, there is no shortage of derelict buildings and waste ground that could be put to much better use for the benefit of the community. So he's coming, he's going to explain in plain language exactly how people can use it and I'm encouraging as many community groups to come along as possible. I That is going to be, for me, the mark of my five years will be how much of the Community Empowerment Act we use, how many times we use it to help communities to transform themselves. That's different from me saying I'm going to transform the communities. I want to work with people to enable them to empower themselves to transform their communities. So this is the start of it. And we've got the person responsible for the bill in the first place coming and he's there to explain it to everyone and answer questions specifically related to ideas. So if you've got ideas for how you might be able to use it, come and ask those specific questions. So one of the problems we have with um, the sustainability of development, when it's kind of very centrally managed, it tends to never quite work you know it tends to be life goes out at the point communities are kind of redeveloped 
from yeah. you can tell redeveloped in an office rather than redeveloped by yes. the people that are there so anything that kind of involves the local people and it might not be a, a big development it might not be a big splashy thing that'd be in the front of the evening times mm. but maybe something that actually in 10 15 years time is still maintained because it's yep. the people in the area that have that have been excited about it and wanted it to happen yeah and it'll make a big difference to that community as you say it's not front page headlines for anybody else but for that community it's it makes a massive difference And that brings us to the end of the first episode of Parliamental for 2016. Oh. I know, but hey, it's a new year. Looking yep. forward to doing another couple of these over the next month. Yeah, we should have another couple. I mean, we do this every fortnight, like clockwork. Yeah. Nothing yeah. ever goes wrong with the schedule. <laughs> I mean, we'll be, if the listeners not got the past couple of episodes, something, there must have been a technical problem at your end. It wasn't us. Definitely wasn't us. Do you get complaints when we don't put out Parliamental? Because no, I, I do. Un- I just unplug stuff. I All don't, right. I don't look at it. <laughs> Um, no but yeah so we'll be back in a fortnight everyone if you want to get in touch with the show you can contact us on twitter at parliamental pod on facebook search for parliamental and via email at parliamentalpodcast at gmail.com again subscribe to us on itunes and leave a review if you like the show Anne and i'll be back in a fortnight as we've said so thanks for listening everyone bye bye <laughs>